Amen. Isn't God good? And it's so good to, to have the people of God together to be joined in his name and just to lift up his name. I want to welcome you uh, to Lakeview Church this morning. I also want to greet those. We've got a lot of our church family watching online and a lot of our new church family in Vernon watching online. Would you help me welcome all of them? We're so glad to have you all with us. God bless you. We're grateful you could tune in with us, and uh, thank you for being here this morning. I just let me get a few things out of the way so God can have his way. First of all, if you're a guest and have not yet received a connection card, could I ask you to take some time during service just to fill one of these out? We've got a special gift for you just to say thanks for being here. After service, you can take your connection cards back to the info table, and our First Impressions team will get you hooked up with a free gift. And I mean, I would just like to connect with you, and, and thank you for coming and answer any questions you might have. Uh, also, even if you're not a guest, you can use these connection cards if you ever need to update your information. Or we also have a, a place on the back. Uh, we use these as our prayer cards. If you've got prayer needs, uh, please write those in and, and send those in. And uh, we are committed to pray over these uh, each and every day. And I believe there's power in prayer. Anybody believe that with me? And so we would be honored to pray with you. Let me remind you, we've got three ways you can give here at Lakeview. You can give online at lakeviewpeople.com slash give. Uh, you can use the text to give number, which is located on the screen, or it's found on the website. And then we've got offering envelopes uh, just for your convenience in the seat pockets nearby. We don't pass a plate here. We believe what you give is between you and God. Uh, so we just got some offering boxes by the door. And I want to thank you for being so generous to give so that we can be so generous to serve and so generous to, to take part in ministry. We've got a couple of special ministries happening the next two nights. Uh, I know this season a lot of people uh, are celebrating the Day of the Dead, but I'm here to celebrate Jesus who's alive. Anybody with me? And then we do a couple of things, and uh, we're going to do one tonight in Vernon, Texas, at our campus there. If you may not know, we've got a brand new campus in Vernon, launched just about eight weeks ago, and uh, Pastor Mark and the team are over there today doing an excellent job, and you've got church family over there, and uh, we'll be meeting at 6.30 in Vernon tonight. If anybody's interested, we could still use some help handing out candy. We've got tons of candy. You don't have to buy any or bring any probably won't find any at Walmart except the gross stuff nobody wants. Uh, it's all sold out. But uh, if you want to show up tonight in Vernon, it's at the Wilbarger Auditorium, 2100 Yamparica. We're just going to be showing the love of Jesus, giving away stuff to people, and also sharing the gospel with them. And, and it's an awesome opportunity. And then uh, Monday night, if you'll leave that one up, we also have a trunk or treat here in Iowa Park. It'll also be at 6.30, same time, right here in Iowa Park. And we'll be doing the same thing, free hot dogs, we got free s'mores, tons of free candy and games that everybody can play, uh, and it's a blessing. Uh, we got to talk to a lady at the store the other day, uh, Pastor Clint and I were, were shopping in uh, Walmart, and how many of you know people need Jesus in Walmart? And we were going through the line, and they wanted to know where's the party at, so we were telling them, hey, come on, we invited them, I'm believing some of them will be here uh, and they were like, well, I've got several kids. How much is it per kid? And it was such a joy to get to say, no, how many kids have you got? And they were like, well, about three. And I don't know how they only knew about. I guess uh, they, it's easy, easy to remember. But I said, three kids, that would be, oh, that would be free for all of them. And you could just see kind of the shock. Because y'all, people are used to churches always wanting their money. And I tell you, we don't need their money. We want their heart. 
We want them to know Jesus Christ. And again, thanks for being so kind and so faithful in giving so we can be giving in this way. And if you want to help us serve, we'd love that. Also, if you'd love to, to be involved in the ministry or you'd like to know more about the ministry of Lakeview, Growth Track happens every first Sunday of the month. And next Sunday, I'll be here uh, to walk through Growth Track with you right after the second service. Uh, we serve you lunch. We do have child care available, but we need you to pre-register so we know how much food and how much child care uh, to provide. You can register online at lakeviewpeople.com slash growth track, 100% free. It's our membership class. It does take a couple of hours to walk through, but it's a one-time thing, and it's worth it. We want you to hear our heart, but we also want to hear your heart about what God is calling you to. And uh, we had so many go through it last month. I'm behind. So if, if I hadn't got with you from the last growth track, I'm, I'm working on it. We had over 70 people between Vernon and Iowa Park go through growth track next month. Would y'all give God some praise for people stepping up? It's awesome. Uh, so that'll be next Sunday, November the 6th. And that'll also be the last installment in this message series. Today is part five of the book of Daniel. And I want to share with you a message entitled Exceptional qualities. Uh, we'll do this from time to time. We'll just walk through a book of the Bible. and We've been going through the first uh, few uh, chapters of Daniel and just seeing not only the, the historical account of Daniel, but the prophetical things that are in the book of Daniel. It's a special book, honestly, not just because it's named after me. Uh, I was named after it. I'm just kidding. But it's part of the Old Testament. It's a section known as the major prophets. And if you're Familiar with kind of the Bible, it's not laid out necessarily in chronological order, but there are sections. And we have a part of prophecy in the Old Testament where you have the major and minor prophets. Now, the major prophets are not more important. They're just longer, and they're called the major prophets, and the minor prophets are shorter in length. Daniel is one of the major prophets, but it is unique to all the other books of prophecy because the last six chapters are a collection of dreams and visions that God revealed and unveiled to Daniel. And it's fascinating because actually they're the same visions that John the Revelator would, would be revealed to by Christ himself in the book of Revelation. Many of the things line up. How many of you know the word of God always confirms itself? And it's awesome to see the centuries apart how God just lined this up. But the first six chapters are, are historical in nature, but I want to submit to you, God does nothing by accident and nothing without purpose. And, and I firmly believe that the first six chapters, while they are historical, they are also prophetical. Because the Bible testifies that in the last days, culture will change. There will be a falling away from the Lord. And I believe we're living... In the end times, personally, I believe we could be living in the end of the end times. I'm looking for the very soon return of Jesus. And we've been sharing about why we feel that way. And we'll share some more. Uh, next week, it'll be our final message. And I hope you'll come back because we're going to be talking a lot about the Antichrist next Sunday. Now, that's also daylight savings time. And I think that it's the Antichrist who invented daylight savings. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Trying to have the whole world have jet lag. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> No, all jokes aside, though, it's a very serious thing. And look, God didn't put prophecy in Scripture to make us afraid, but to make us aware. To be prepared for such a time and the season that we find ourselves in. And so I hope you'll come back to hear that. But these historical chapters, I believe not only does the book of Daniel 
uh, speak to what the end times will look like as prophesied, but it speaks to the body of Christ, to followers of God, what we should live like in the end times. Because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the Hebrew boys, they were all in captivity in these first six chapters to the Babylonian Empire. If you'll remember that from the last few weeks, King Nebuchadnezzar got the ball rolling. He came in and basically burned down Jerusalem and overthrew the nation of Israel and took many captives there. But Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stood out. God positioned them. Even in a godless culture, God protected them. He provided for them, and he positioned them. And I want the church to hear that. I don't care what's going on in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So many Christians get too concerned about what's the Antichrist going to do. I'm more intrigued by what's the body of Christ going to do. Will we realize what God has called us to be capable of in these times that we find ourselves living in? So if you'll remember, Daniel lived in captivity for about 70 years. Ever since uh, most scholars think he was probably around 16 years old and, and lived into his 90s. But during that time, he served four different kings. And we've walked through that. Let me just recap the weeks quickly. And I'll put some of this on the screen. Week one, if you'll remember, was culture's greatest goal. Culture's greatest goal was when they tried to change their whole identity. They were even telling them what they needed to eat. But more importantly, they tried to give them a new name. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. And most people know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's actually their Babylonian names because we're so familiar with that. And I want to give warning to the church that culture today is trying to cause people to have an identity crisis so that they don't identify with God. And I don't say this to be mean. I say this because I mean it. We need to be careful not to let culture define us or identify who we are. Because culture is, is, has a tough time with this. About a decade ago, it's been almost 10 years ago, uh, states begin. Actually, the state of Washington was one of the first ones to start past legislation. They were so afraid of offending people. Anybody else getting offended about how everyone's afraid to get offended? I don't even know what I just said, but follow the... You know what I was trying to say. It's just... The political correctness is driving me crazy, and it's sad because you can't talk to anybody, it seems like, without them getting so mad and frustrated. But about a decade ago, the state of Washington passed legislation, and they said, well, all of our legislation is going to be gender neutral. Oh, so we don't offend anybody. So they wouldn't even use terms like penmanship because it said men in it. It's hilarious, though, because they go to all this work. Y'all, Congress was getting paid to make these decisions in Washington, their, their state legislation. And at the end of it all, when they said, we're going to change all these, they said, we're making this rule a mandate. Did you catch it? A mandate. It's apparently funnier to me than some of you, but I like it. I think it's funny. I think our culture our is trying to take the, the, the shift off of the truth of God's word. And we need to not let the, the world define us or try to redefine us, but let only God have the say of who we are. And we were created in his image, and he makes no mistakes. If anybody believes that, would you have got a good amen? amen. Week two, we talked about culture's greatest test. This was 
where King Nebuchadnezzar built that giant image of gold and commanded everyone that they would bow down and worship it. And we also looked at Daniel being thrown into the lion's den because he wouldn't stop worshiping the true God. They made a law saying it was illegal to pray and he, he wouldn't stop his, his commitment to praying to God three times a day. And Y'all, if you haven't already faced this, you will in some form or fashion. The closer we get to the end of the end is that you will have to make a decision. Who will you worship? They're starting to say, okay, you can be a Christian, but just don't. You stop being so intolerant. You can be a Christian, but you can't preach all of the Bible. And there's a big test of who will we submit to? Who will we bow down to? And will we pass the test of who we truly reverence and who we truly worship? Week three was culture's greatest sin. And we saw uh, King Nebuchadnezzar again fall into the trap of the greatest sin. The title of that message was End Time Insanity. And I believe the world's losing its mind because of this sin. I believe it's the sin that is the root of, of all the other sins. And it's the sin of pride. Where we say, in other words, we say we humans know more than God. And Nebuchadnezzar got in a dangerous place where he looked out at his kingdom and he was saying, he'd already been warned. God warned him in a dream through Daniel. And he, he respected Daniel and, and had honor for him. And he heard what he said, but he didn't change his mentality. He stayed prideful. And he looked out at the kingdom and was like, Daniel, I know your God's done a lot of things, but look what I've done. And isn't that like our world today? People today want to talk about what they've done and we don't need God. The, the medical world thinks, you know, that they're too smart for God and so we have a pandemic and can't nobody figure anything out anymore. We don't need to forget who God is. We need to remember we rely on him for everything. And the sin of pride, it caused Nebuchadnezzar to go insane for seven years. said his nails grew out like eagle claws and his hair like crazy feathers and he, he ate grass. And the king of Babylon, did this for seven years until he came to his senses and recognized that God was the one who was the ultimate authority. Now last week, in week four, we talked about culture's greatest culprit. And this one is the one that can, if we're not careful, even believers can be affected by those first three. We can be affected by the sin of pride. We can fail the test and, and, and put something above God. And, and we can even allow ourselves to conform to this world, which the Bible warns, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But if our minds are tired, if, if we fall victim to this, this greatest culprit, which is our life being out of order. We saw that exemplified by Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, who took over. This was another king that Daniel served under. And even he was reminded, hey, your dad used to go to Daniel for help. And when they had the handwriting on the wall, you remember where the hand came and wrote, mine, mine, teko parson, on the wall. And, and they didn't know what it meant. They called and Daniel gave him the meaning. He came in at a time where they, things were, their life was reckless and careless. They didn't think their life really mattered except just to live it up. Said that they were actually desecrating the holy uh, cups and, and utensils used in the temple that they had captured from Jerusalem. They were drinking out of them, drinking wine and partying with those. They were, they were just you know, throwing these things in the face of God. And God had said, your life has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And we don't want our life to be weighed in the balance. We don't want our life to be out of balance. And for anything to be put in priority, out of order, above God. Because can I tell you, when you do that, when God's not first in your life, you're not going to last in this life. Because we need God to be 
the director of everything. And when you don't make time for him, God created a culture of rest and of worship and of Sabbath. And a lot of people just ignore that. Did you know honor the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, just like thou shalt not murder? And people would never ask you, like, hey, why don't you come kill somebody with me? But they will be like, hey, let, let's work seven days a week or just stay busy all the time. Y'all, it's okay. It's okay for your kids not to be in 17 different sports. There's no law against it. Little Johnny probably ain't going to the major leagues anyway. And if he does, I hope he comes back and pays tithe. Amen. Uh, I'm just kidding. But really, we, there's such pressure and we'll fall victim to this culprit. And it makes us fall into the trap of a lot of things. Because how many of you know you make your worst decisions when you're most tired? You're just drained. And we warned of some things. These aren't in your notes, but I want to remind you of them. When you are tired, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable in that you're more susceptible to temptation. You are in less control of your emotions. Remember, you'll scream at those cars. I can't even hear you. You also are in danger of not being able to hear the voice of God, and, and you'll just, your life will become less productive. All those things begin to happen. If you don't do things God's way, God's way is the right way. Anybody believe that in this place? So this week, week five, is culture's greatest need. And I want to submit to you that the answer to this need is you. I know we say, and we say it correctly, this world needs Jesus. But guess how God decided and designed to bring Jesus into this world? You are, we are, the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. And in this age that we live in, in this season that we live in, please don't think that the spirit of Antichrist has more authority than the body of Christ. Because all authority, every victory, the Bible says, belongs to Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is already done. He's already won the battle. We just got to decide to get on the winning side. And aren't you glad that's not like being a Dallas Cowboys fan? Sorry, that hurt me to say that. Broke my microphone saying that. But it's so true. And I, I want to talk to you about what happened with Daniel's life as he was in captivity, in a godless society. So even if we find ourselves in a world that, that doesn't want to obey the things of God, we have to be careful that we stay close to the things of God. So will you look with me at Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 and 5. Tori, I may need your help. I shouldn't have talked bad about the cowboys. There, I got it. I got it. Thank you, baby. Daniel chapter 6. It says, It pleased King Darius to buy Daniel a new microphone. It pleased him. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, let, let me just give a quick backstory. Darius is the ruler of, he was the leader of the Medes and the Persians. If you remember from the handwriting on the wall, they were who came in and, and overthrew Belshazzar. And if you know your history, the, the Babylonian Empire is where we would see uh, modern-day Iraq. And the Persian Empire is what you would know as modern-day Iran. And so again, not accidentally, not coincidentally, right before in the book of Daniel where it's talking about history, then it talks about the end times, it says that Iraq and Iran were fighting over God's land, over the land of Israel. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the world today? But so now Persia, the Medes and the Persians have come in, and Darius the king has 
assumed control. But look what happens. So now Daniel is captive to a new king. This guy's just meeting him, really. But it says it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. That's kind of like uh, governors. You can think of that like local rulers or governors to rule throughout the kingdom. But notice this. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And I don't know if we have anybody that remembers Sesame Street, but one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Daniel was the only one of them, of these three rulers, he was the only one of them who was not one of them. And I need you to see that though we may live in a godless world, God is still in charge of this world. He's still the ultimate authority. And while Satan may be called the God of this age in Scripture, that's lowercase g. Because he needs to know his place. And God has placed you here. One way I like to think of it is if you're alive in this season of, of Bible history and world history, think of it like a relay race. Who do they hand the baton to at the end? It's the fastest runner, the one they know can get it across the finish line. So God knows he has called you and he will equip you for such a time as this if you will believe in him more than you believe in the, the works of the enemy of this world. So it says that Daniel now was, was one of these three rulers and the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. That's very important because whoever Daniel served, they never suffered loss. They always won. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself, real important word, he distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. And may I ask you to underline those two words? It's the title of today's message, by his exceptional qualities. He was distinguished not because of his political prowess or his ability to play the game. He didn't become a ruler in in the Persian Empire because of that. It was because of his exceptional qualities. And how did he do it? It was that word distinguished. Now I want to define that. I actually wrote it out in my Bible next to that word distinguished. It's similar to, to what you would use our word of he was different. They could tell a difference. And we say it a lot. It's part of our vision here. We want people to mature in God where they're living a life that makes a difference for eternity. It makes a difference in the lives of others. But can I just share with you, you won't be able to make a difference if you're not any different than the world. We need to live different. We need to believe different. And, and God can help us to do that. He can distinguish us when we submit ourselves to him. And he, and he dis distinguished himself with these exceptional qualities. And we're going to talk about these because I believe we have access to them. And I'll show you why in Scripture. Just a couple of examples. It won't be on the screen or in your notes. But if you'd like to write these down and read them later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it's where it speaks of us being ambassadors for Christ. Many of you may be familiar with that passage. But it says we are ambassadors for Christ in this world. It says it's as if God is making his appeal to the world through us. This is why the church is so important to the world. It says God is making his appeal to the world through us. Jesus has already done his work. And he said it's good that he goes away. He said that. He said, it's good that I go back to my Father, and I will pray to the Father to send you another comfort, the Holy Spirit. And now, what are we? The temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry Christ. We carry the gospel. We advance the kingdom when we are obedient to God everywhere we go. That's how we should see our life and how we should live our life. 
And we should distinguish ourselves so that they'll recognize it. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. Again, not in your notes, but if you want to write it down. It speaks of the manifold wisdom of God. And it actually says it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to this world. It actually says to the rulers of this world. So just like Daniel distinguished himself to Darius and Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar and everybody else, we should distinguish ourselves by the manifold wisdom of God being revealed through us. So I just want you to be encouraged by what God has called the church to do. Ain't nothing the Antichrist can do better than the body of Christ can do through Jesus Christ. Amen. So this says that the, the king actually planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. You could say they sat traps for him. I didn't think of that in first service. Y'all, that was bonus. That was bonus. All right. That was just the Holy Spirit right there. I'm just kidding. It says they were trying to find grounds and church Christians be alert. The Bible warns, be watchful, be vigilant. This is happening in culture right now, whether you want to believe it or not. Look around for just a minute and you'll see it. They're trying to peg Christians as being so intolerant. Intolerant. That's how they say it. Drives me nuts. They're trying to find charges, trying to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was, I love this word. I pray this over my children. I pray this over our church that we would be trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And notice, that's the attack that's coming. It's already happening in some parts of the world, and the enemy's trying to do it here. We need to take a stand against it. They'll try to make laws that come against the law of God, just like happened with Daniel. They made a law against being allowed to pray. They're already trying to pass laws saying you can't preach certain sections of the Bible. Y'all, the world needs the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it needs the whole word, not just bits and pieces, not just the feel-good parts. Because how many of you know we sometimes need parts that may not feel good, but they'll help us to do good. God will correct us. He corrects the ones he loves, the Bible says. So this is my prayer for you, church. This is my prayer for anybody who's a follower of Jesus is that when even when culture tries to attack our character, that they would instead be attracted to our character. This happened with Daniel. People would try to tear him down, and all it did was allow God to elevate him more and more. They watched him say consistent and committed to the things of God. He distinguished himself because he was different. He said, I'm not going to participate in all that stuff. Again, y'all, we don't have to do everything culture does. We shouldn't allow culture to, to set expectation for us. We should set the culture around us. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Thermometer just gauges the temperature of the room. A thermostat changes the temperature of the room. And with God's help, we can have these exceptional qualities. Let's talk about those. Let's talk about these exceptional qualities. How do we get them? How do we realize them in a real way in our life? Look at 2 Corinthians. This is back in your notes. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And that word spirit, anytime you see it in the New Testament, it's the Greek word pneuma. I've talked about it ad nauseum, but if you hadn't heard it, it just means 
a breath of fresh air. It's, it's, it's a word that we would have for like a gust of wind, a powerful force. And, and the Holy Spirit has that ability to just, to just refresh us and to, to direct us. He's our counselor and our guide and, and, and our friend. And, and the Lord is the Spirit. And it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if we want people to be free of their sin, if we want people to be free of their pain, of their guilt, we just need to get them to the Spirit of the Lord. Y'all, people don't need another sermon. They don't need another motivational speech. They don't need another song like they need the Spirit of God. And we need to really be in relationship with Him so we can introduce other people to Him. Because the Holy Spirit is real. He really is God. And people really need to encounter His presence But a troubling thing happens in the church world sometimes because this is true that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we think we just got to get people to the Spirit. So we basically go, go get them, God. Get them, Holy Spirit. But watch the next part of this verse. It says, and we, that's you and me, we all who with unveiled faces, and that's a fancy, it's a very deep Bible way of saying we have direct connection with God. The veil is, is down. We, we know that God is real because he's become real to us. We contemplate the Lord's glory and we are being transformed. And I circled that word being in my Bible because it's a process. We are being transformed. Y'all, I'm not where I need to be yet, but I'm so thankful because of Jesus. I'm not who I used to be either. And we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing, pay attention to that, ever-increasing. It is a process, but it should be a productive process. You should be ever-increasing, not ever-decreasing. Come on, somebody. You never, you're you're always going this way or this way in your walk with God. You never just stay plateaued. You're fooling yourself. You're declining if you're not advancing and drawing closer to him and being more and more like Jesus. And it says, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God will help us. The Holy Spirit is our helper, the Bible says, but it doesn't say he's our doer. We have to do our part to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And so in this truth, I want you to realize God is saying he wants us to look more and more like Christ, more and more like Jesus. So let's look at a picture of what God looks like as defined in Scripture. In the book of Revelation, I'm going to talk a lot more about this next Sunday, but real briefly, just want to give you a preview of some of what we're going to discuss next week. In Revelation chapter 4, John the Revelator was given the privilege to be able to to view the throne room of God. It's one of the most fascinating parts of Scripture where he gets to look at the throne of God and it says he looks and sees a a sea of glass clear as crystal and in the center of the throne there was this living being that was made up of four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in the front and the back. There's these 24 elders. It's all described. Read Revelation 4 this week if you have time. But it goes on to say that, that this is what those four living creatures looked like. And most scholars agree this is the most accurate depiction or description we have of what God looks like in heaven. Because John was allowed to view uh, this through, through Jesus allowing it. It says the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third like the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Now again, many people are wanting to know what's the Antichrist going to look like and where is he going to come from. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. But I'm more concerned about knowing who Jesus is. 
and who God is and who we want to be through, through Jesus. We want to be in, in his likeness. And this is very important. And again, God's word always confirms the word. And this was talked about through the prophet Ezekiel centuries before this. These aren't in your notes, but if you like extra stuff, Ezekiel, these will be on the screen. Ezekiel 1 10 says their faces look like this. He was seeing a visage of the Lord. And he says each of, of the four had the face of a human being. That's the man. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. On the left, the face of an ox. And each had the face of an eagle. It's exactly the same. God was revealing himself so that, that we could know him and, and know more about his attributes. And look, in that same chapter, in verse 28, listen to what it says. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. So what Ezekiel was seeing was the appearance of the likeness of God's glory. And, and so if we can look at these four faces of the Lord, I want to submit to you, uh, many scholars believe that those four faces correlate with the four Gospels. I personally believe that too. It's beautiful. If you ever study that out, how each face, scripturally, those uh, images represent things that are revealed through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's four people's perspective of the same account of Christ's life. And it's amazing how God spoke to each one of them. How many of you believe God can speak to you in a very specific way that's specific to you? That you need to hear? And this is just a powerful depiction of, of God's ability to do that. But they also are representation of four of God's attributes, four qualities, these exceptional qualities that you will see in Daniel's life and that we should want to see in our life. Jesus lived it out the best, and Daniel represented it well also. And we can have these, this desire for these same exceptional qualities, even in the world we live in. Let's look at the four faces. Number one, first we have... The face of the ox, which represented the face of a servant. And we know that, that Daniel was a good servant. It said the king wanted him to be a, a leader in his kingdom because he knew he wouldn't suffer any loss because he served well and took care of his business well. And, and we in the church should be this way. Uh, just this morning, we were talking in our leaders group. We prayed before service, and uh, one of our leaders spoke up and said, you know what, I even live this way at my job outside the church. It's hard sometimes if I'm just working for my job, but when I do things for God, it's not so hard to do what my boss asked me to do because I ain't doing it for him. Even if your boss gets on your nerves, don't do it for them. Do it for God. Do things with excellence so God can position you through these exceptional attributes, these qualities that will distinguish you in your world so that Christ can be glorified in this world. And, and when you think about this face of a servant, Jesus was the ultimate servant. It says that Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he washed his disciples' feet. And I mean, he was obedient unto death at the, on the cross. And, and the ox represented that well because it was an animal. All, every time you see it in Scripture, it's described as, you know, plowing the field or pulling something or doing work for someone. And it also was a sacrificial animal in the Old Testament. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to have the face of a servant. And I said this one time uh, to somebody. I was talking about this message. I was like, we got to have that face of an ox in this man's so well, my wife already has that. <laughs> yep, I reacted about like you did. Just a reminder, we have a marriage counselor on staff, just if anybody needs to know. But we do want to have this heart of, of a servant because Daniel had it, and that was part of what distinguished him. And I want you to know, we've got some things. I, we never have capital campaigns here. I'm never going to get up here and beg for money because I believe God has all we need. But I, I do from time to time share vision with you. 
And I want you to understand, it's, it's kind of your role to participate as you feel led of God. We're not going to high pressure you at all. But you help the pace of that vision. And we believe that God has put on our hearts that wherever God calls us to, we want to be able to serve people. And God has given me a specific just heart to, to, to form or build or rent out somewhere that we're going to create what we call life buildings. We want to be helping build people's lives. And how many of you know people have lives outside of Sundays and Wednesdays? That every day people have need. And right now the price of everything's going up. And so is the opportunity for the church to step up and be a help to people that are in need. And y'all, I don't care if they'll never show up in a church service. Let's quit waiting for people to come to church and let the church go to the people. Be fishers of men instead of waiting for the fish to get in the boat. And in these life buildings, I want to see us just, just provide necessities, food, clothing, supplies for kids, have a place, maybe a safe place for kids after school, different things, whatever God calls us to do, we want to answer that call. And I want to ask you to pray that way and, and begin to, to, to ask God about how you can provide that way. We're going to talk a lot about it in our November series leading up to our legacy offering. We always, the first Sunday in December, we give to God and we just want to give it to a cause that it's not about just paying the bills, but it's about advancing the kingdom. And so I hope you'll pray that God will speak to your heart about that. But we, we want that word life is important. It stands for living in faith every day. Because I believe there's people that need to hear the gospel each and every day. And we want to be out and, and about them. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Basically saying, I don't have to do any of this, but I want to. Because of what Jesus has, has done. That's that face of the servant. Number two was the face of the man. This speaks to God's relationship with humanity. And it's the face of love. God showed his love by showing his face on this earth. Jesus could have just stayed in heaven. God could have started over and created something else. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish. Nobody has to perish. God rejects no one, but a lot of people, unfortunately, have rejected God. But God is the face of love. And, and I want you to, to realize, I mean, Jesus said it best in John chapter 13. Let me just read his words. He said, a new command I give you, and it's hilarious to me, y'all. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. Jesus is really funny. And sometimes he would say things in a really kind of, different way to try to get people because this is not a new command this has been around since the beginning we're supposed to love but people weren't doing it so he's like hey let's try something new the thing I told you to do in the first place a new command I've given you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another because he said all the people will know you because of how smart you are how good you sing or how well you speak that's not what he said at all he said, it's because of your love one for another that people will know that you are my disciples. This, by this, everyone will know that you're my followers if you love one another. And that's what we want to be known for, is loving people because God loved us first. Why do we do it? It's not for them. It's in response to God's love for us. Number three is the face of the eagle, which is the face of respect. All through scripture, and now even in our country, it's a symbol of respect. It's our national bird. 
But you'll see it in Scripture many times, and it always has a, a position of strength. You know, we will mount up with wings as eagles. We will not grow weary and faint. And, and, and many times when it's talked about, it's a position of authority and then commands respect. And think of Daniel's life. You, you don't just become the third leader in the Persian Empire when you're not even Persian without getting some respect. And God gave it to him miraculously, and he can do that for his church, even in the season that we find ourselves in. And when I think of an eagle, you know, eagles are awesome. Just looking at an eagle command. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? I love hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are cute, but they don't command my respect. You know what I'm saying? Sorry you had to see that. That's my best hummingbird. I'm never doing that again. Uh, the eagles, y'all, they're just, they're beautiful. They're majestic. There's a reason there are national. And eagles fly, it looks like they're not even trying. It's like one flap, boom, I'm an eagle. Look at my majesty. You know, I mean, it's just awesome how they glide. They're above it all, and they ain't worried about it at all. And I think that's a lot how the church should look. If we want to be like God, do you know what? God's not worried about nothing that's happening in this world. None of it catches him off guard. None of it causes him concern. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. And contrary to popular belief, that doesn't mean go complain about everything. Talk to God about it before you talk to your internet about it. And the eagle, it just, it commands respect. I mean, when you see it, it influences, I mean, I can't help but look, I've only seen an eagle in person a few times flying, and it's like I have a patriot, I'm like, my country tis. You know, it just changes things when I see it, and that's how it should be when people see the body of Christ. It should change things. People should talk differently around us, not because we're jerks, but because we have Jesus, and they respect what we believe, and they respect, they know, they might not even agree with us, but they can't help but respect us because God gives us that position and he puts us in that position. I, I call it the wow factor. I want this for our church, y'all. This is why we're not perfect, but we're developing it. We're pursuing excellence is a way we say it to our leadership. We want people to walk in and to be greeted by somebody and, and with a friendly face. We want them to go, wow, these people were really nice. Because how many of you know some churches you don't go wow, you go ow when you walk in. Feels like everybody's mad at you. We want people to come in and, and be like, oh, there's free coffee and they give stuff away. They come to the trunk or treat and it's free. Wow. We want people to experience the presence of God. That's why we, we, we desire sincere worship. The Bible says the, the, the real worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. We're not just singing some songs. We're singing unto the, the living God because we want people to experience the presence of God to go, wow. Man, I had a guy in Vernon at our new campus. He, he's never been raised in a church that really worshiped, really. They were very, you know, just liturgical and, and it was kind of dry and he he just with tears in his eyes he's like I don't know what this is that I'm feeling but I want more of it and I said brother that's just the presence of God and you know what I didn't have to talk him into it I didn't have to shake him around do the hokey pokey and turn ourselves around he just felt the God was speaking the Holy Spirit was ministering to that man without any manipulation because the presence of God is real and it'll make people say wow Listen to what they said about Jesus. This is not in your notes. Just a little excerpt from Mark 7.37. It says, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said about Jesus. We should want that to be said about the body of Christ. They have done everything well. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. 
except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It goes on to talk about light. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So we're the salt and the light. That means everywhere we go, we should make this better. Salt makes everything taste better. Light makes things look better. So even though we may be in a sin-fallen world, we are the salt that changes where we go. Don't let the world change you. We're the light. As dark as this world gets, let's shine the light. Because it says, neither do people put light, uh, uh, they don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's not about showing off, it's about showing them the way. In the same way, your light, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds. Yes, we want to tell them about how good Jesus is, but they ought to see that we actually believe what we say we believe, and we live it out before them so that they will glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. This is what the church is called to do and who we are called to be. And don't let anybody, not even yourself, Redefine who God has said you are, who God has said you are, and what God has said you're capable of. The final face here, the last one is number four, the lion, which is the face of boldness. And man, I, I want to get this across to the church quickly, and then I'm closing. To be bold, you don't have to be rude. You don't have to be a jerk to tell people about Jesus. But we cannot be quiet either. And people, they're, they're wanting to say, separation of church and state. There's one politician, I'm sorry if she's your favorite, I'll pray for you. Uh, her name rhymes with Pelosi, but I heard her say this once. Don't say anything else. I'm in enough trouble as it is. This is on the internet. Whatever. Uh, but she said this. She's like, I just, you know, we, we let them be, Christians do their thing, but there is a separation of church and state. Bless your little heart. Look, the Bible says we're to be separate. That means set apart for God's work. But we're to be in the world while we're not of the world. And y'all, I'm just going to submit to you, this is our country too. And we need Christians to stand up and we need to show up and with our voice say, hey, if people aren't going to believe in the things of God, they can get out of government for all I care. They need to be, not be in authority. We need to not accept this mess and don't be quiet about it. You don't have to be a jerk, but you don't have to be quiet either. We need to be, have a boldness about us to speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. If anybody believes that, it'll still be my friend after I said it. Would you give God a good amen? So culture wants the, the church to be quiet, but the Bible says in Proverbs 28.1 that the righteous are as bold as a lion. You'll see that every time in Scripture, lion, there's a boldness when it's associated with, with God. He's, he's called the Lion of Judah. In Matthew 16, Jesus said this. Jesus replied to Peter. Now, let me just preface this, and then we'll, we'll get to the conclusion. He, he had asked Peter, who do people say I am? And that the world, they're wanting to know who do Christians really believe God is? Do they really believe what they say they believe? They're watching us, church. He said, who do they say I am? And Peter said, well, some are saying you're one of the old prophets back from the dead, like Elijah. They, they say you're Elijah. Then Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he said, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Anybody else know who Jesus is? Not because you're good, but because you realize how good he is. And he found you when you were all messed up and broken. And nobody else would have done for you what Jesus did for you. Nobody else could do. 
Only Jesus. He said, I know who you are. And Jesus replied to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. But look at the next part. Because he said, because of that revelation, because you, God has showed this to you, I tell you, now I'm changing your name. Culture's not renaming you. I am. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the whole gates of hell, the gates of Hades, whoever they want to bring with them will not overcome it. And how do you know? You're not who you used to be before. Jesus changed you. You're a new creation. You've got a new name written down in glory, the Bible says. And we can advance the kingdom of God if we'll believe that we can be bold as God has called us to be. So how do we respond to culture? Let me ask the the worship team if they'd come at this time. Two words I want to give you, and then we're going to take communion and pray. Two words. The the two words are truth and grace, and I'm going to define those in just a second, but church, we got to be careful not to go to an extreme. Too many times the body of Christ gets real extreme with truth or grace. We go really hard this way or really hard this way. And truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. You need the balance of both. Okay, and, and we need to not let ourselves overcorrect into this. So let me just give you a few examples. They're not in your notes, but just listen to them or write them down if you can. Grace is what says we all need a Savior. Grace is when we realize there's none good but one. All have sinned. Grace realizes that, but truth says, but I will only be saved if I'll submit to the Savior. Truth lets you realize, yeah, God loves me, but I've got to allow him to be Lord of my life. I need to receive that grace by putting my trust, my faith in him. Grace says, hey, we're all sinners, and that's true. You ever heard somebody say, you don't, you can't judge me. You got your own sins. Look, just because we're all sinners doesn't mean that sin is okay. Your mom ever tell you just because everybody's doing it don't mean you got to do it. My mama taught me that. And if I didn't learn it, she would correct me. And I used to hate correction. I used to hate to get in trouble. But you know what? I learned I'd rather get in trouble with my mom than get myself into trouble out in the world. I would rather God correct me. That's that handwriting on the wall, those warning signs. Let's, listen, let's heed his correction before we get ourselves in a bigger mess, in bigger problems. And finally, grace says, and this makes me think of the account of Christ standing there. They bring this woman who was caught in adultery. Do y'all remember that example in scripture? They bring this woman caught in adultery before Jesus and they all want to stone her to death. Jesus gets down and writes in the dirt and he says, you know, anybody who's without sin, they can throw the first stone. Everybody bails. The woman looks at him and he says, woman, where are your accusers? They're all gone. And Jesus says these beautiful words. This is his grace. He says, neither do I condemn you. You want to be like Jesus? We don't need to condemn the world because Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world. People are already feeling condemnation, but there's no condemnation in Christ. There's conviction of the Holy Spirit, but how's about we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit? He said, neither do I condemn you, but then he tempered it with truth. Because while we look at people and say, neither do I condemn you, truth says, now go, turn, leave your life of sin. He said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. That balance of grace and truth. Jesus is our perfect example. 
The ministry of Jesus is that perfect example. But I hope you see too that throughout the life of Daniel, he exemplified a lot of that grace and God helped him to be that in a corrupt culture. He was a good example of the grace and truth of God. John chapter one, verse 14, final scripture I'll read to you with this message says, the word, which is a title for Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of these two things. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be like Jesus, ever increasing in his likeness. And we need grace and truth. Here's your last two blanks. We need grace because we all need a savior. Can anybody testify of that? There's none good but one. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But we need truth because it's the only thing that sets people free. That's what the Bible says. It's the only thing that can set people free. We can't water it down. We can't try to not talk about sin or the blood of Jesus. Y'all, it's only by the blood of Jesus that our sins are washed clean. It's not by any good deeds we could do. Not by anything we could do on our own. It's only because of his sacrifice. That's the truth of his amazing grace. I want to ask you, if you would, to uh, take your communion elements with me before we dismiss. And we're going to open the altars for prayer. If you need prayer for anything, we're going to pray with you. We'll stay and pray as long as you need. We're not in a hurry. But I first want to give opportunity for us to examine our heart before the Lord. Because we do have some tough days ahead. The Bible warns, and again, we're going to share a lot more about it next Sunday. The Bible prophesies it's going to get worse before it gets better. Before we see the return of Jesus, we're going to see a lot of things in this world that we don't want to see. But how many of you are glad that the Bible says when you begin to see those things, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. It draws near. Praise God. So even the bad is a reminder the good is on its way. Jesus is on his way. So let's remember who God is. Let's remember what Christ has done for us and he'll help us. Jesus will help live through us the life he wants us to live by his help and the leading of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives instruction to the church about partaking in communion. If, if you're a guest, you don't have to be a member of the church to participate in communion, but we do want you to be a follower of Jesus because the Bible takes it very seriously, and so do we. So we don't take this lightly. So before we partake, we're going to just allow the Holy Spirit to help us examine our hearts. It says in verse 27, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. I think of Belshazzar with those cups filled with wine and they were just recklessly taking the sacred things of God and just using it recklessly. Your life is sacred before God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's not be in communion with God and not really be living for God. The Bible warns against it. It says, this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So could I ask you to stand all over this place? And I want the worship team just to lead us in that chorus a couple of times. And if there's anything that you need to get under the blood of Jesus, anything you need God to, to work on in your heart, 
Would you just talk to him right now and let God talk to you? And let's examine our hearts. Would you sing it out for us? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us by the powerful blood of Jesus from all unrighteousness. And that was written to believers. So even if you're a believer, we still should confess. We're, we're, we're saved by grace in Jesus Christ, but how many of you know we still need Jesus every day? And I'm thankful for his forgiveness. So now as we take this, would you take the bread with me first and in following what the word says in 1 Corinthians 11. The apostle Paul says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So what we're doing is sacred because it was given to us from God himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Would you join me in giving him thanks for his body that was broken? Thank you, Jesus for taking our punishment upon yourself, for being the perfect sacrifice that we could not be. We honor you and thank you for it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Would you now take the bread in remembrance for Christ's body, which was broken for us? Thank you, Jesus. Verse 25, it says, In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood, which was spilled for us and now washes us clean. Would you do this in remembrance? Would you take the cup in remembrance of Jesus' blood? Finally, it says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And I believe Jesus could come any moment. So let's use every moment we can to tell people about his goodness. Amen. I'm going to call the prayer team to come, and I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal over you. 
But if you need prayer for anything, if you need to give your heart to the Lord or one of your loved ones doesn't know Jesus, if you let us pray for them with you, there's power in prayer. Please don't leave this place. If you've got anything that you need prayer for, we'd be honored to stay and pray with you. So even as I'm praying now, just move from where you are as God leads you and we'll stay and pray. If you're a guest, we'd love to give you a gift back at the back. Uh, and, And we just thank you for joining us. But right now, let me pray a blessing and let's go out of this place knowing God goes with us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. And let's be the salt and the light he's called and created us to be. Father, I thank you for your presence. I pray now, Lord, as people have needs, they would just move. They would feel freedom because of your spirit to say, we can run to you, God, and and you're our help. And you've called us to come together in agreement in prayer. We do that right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we're not just doing that here. Send us out as light in the darkness, salt in an unsavory world. Let us be those ambassadors. And like you say, God, you're making your appeal through us. And we don't want anybody to perish. We want all to come to repentance, to know Jesus. So let them see Jesus through us. And the body of Christ said... Amen, amen. Would you give God one more praise before you go? God bless you, church. They're going to sing us out, but you're dismissed. Go with God. If you need prayer.